Good afternoon. It's an honor I cannot put in the words to be here on such a momentous occasion as the installation of your pastor and my dear brother of almost 30 years, and it's such a privilege to have this time with you. When the committee called me about Pastor Elliot, everything I said could have been contained in two sentences, and the one was, you're going to interview one of the finest men of God I've ever been privileged to know, and secondly, behind him there's a very dear woman by the name of Beth, who will always be 110% behind everything he does. I one time told Pastor Elliot, you and I have two things, one thing in common, we both married up. <laughs> Way up. <laughs> and it's such a delight to be here on the occasion as he has installed as pastor. I've known he and his dear wife for so many years and such a privilege to have this time with you. Now, as I prayed about our time together, everything I said even this morning was preliminary to what I want to say to you now. But there are two problems. First of all, there are some people here that were not able to be here this morning. And secondly, I have heard when people in the Bahamas have a good Sunday noon meal and then a good Sunday afternoon nap, they completely forget everything they learned in the morning service. And I am so terrified that may have happened, I guess I better find out. We talked about three essentials in your relationship with unbelievers. Slowly, clearly tell me what those three essentials are. All together, all loudly, clearly, and slowly, they are pray properly, live properly, and speak properly. With that in mind, I now want to talk about three essentials for a healthy church. And if you have your Bibles, may I ask you to take them and turn to Galatians chapter 6. I'd like to start reading at the first verse. Galatians chapter 6, I'd like to start reading at verse 1. Follow me on the screen or with your Bible in front of you. I always want people to leave knowing where God said first while I'll only repeat. Galatians 6 and verse 1 begins, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Consider yourself, let you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. That him who is taught in the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For wherever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows his spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap, if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is a fable that says that when God created the earth and all that therein exists, he gave everyone and everything 50 years to live. For that reason, man was given 50 years to live. The horse was given 50 years to live. The dog was given 50 years to live. And the turtle was given 50 years to live. It was only a matter of time, though, before man became very dissatisfied. And he said, if I'm going to have dominion over the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, the odds are more than 50 years to live. At that time, the horse came up to man and he said, well, I'd like to take 10 of my years and give them to you, and you can add them to the 50, which you already have, giving you a total of 60. 
And shortly thereafter, the dog came up to me and he said, well, you well know that generosity that characterizes a horse also characterizes me. I mean, after all, I am known as man's best friend. I'd like to take 10 of my years, give them to you, and you can add them to the 60 which you already have, giving you a total of 70. And right after that, the turtle came up to the man and he said to him, well, what the horse has done and what the dog has done, I also would like to do. I'd like to take 10 of my years, give them to you, and you can add them to the 70 which you already have, giving you a total of 80. And so, as the legend goes, it's for that reason. For the first 50 years of his life, man really lives the life of a man. From age of 50 to 60, he continues to work like a horse. But when he gets beginning the ages of 60 to 70, he begins living a dog life as only a matter of time before he is as slow as a turtle. I have to confess when I read that, I laughed just as you have. But the more I thought about it, it seems like that contains a great deal of truth. Because as a man who has traveled throughout the world, if you were to take those years and transfer them in the years of a church, you would too many times have the life story of too many churches. It seems like for the first 50 years of their existence, they really live, act, and work like a church. Christ is their master, and the Bible is their manual, and love is their motive. And for the next 10 years, they continue to work like a horse in serving the living God. But after they've been in existence for about 60 years, it seems sometimes they begin acting like the Christian life and the church life is some kind of a dog's life. And it's only a matter of time when it comes to reaching the lost and building up the believers. They are as slow as a turtle. Because too many times the church that touches the community becomes a church that is touched by the community. And instead of being dynamically used by God, they are detrimentally used by Satan. And instead of generating light to the people outside, they generate heat to the people inside. For as it's been said, the church that is Satan's prime delight is the one that generates more heat than light. And it's interesting, after Paul ministered in the age of minor, some Judaizers came along and said that he's preaching a false gospel. That along with Christ, you also had to keep the ceremonial laws, and you have to observe certain feasts and festivals. And their gospel is not a gospel Christ, period, but a gospel Christ plus. But it's interesting, when they tended to be drawn apart by people from the outside, Paul urged the people in the church to draw closer on the inside. Because the secret to external attacks is always internal attachments. And for that reason, he talks about three essentials for a healthy church. And those three essentials determine whether Calvary Bible Church will have a future, or sad to say one day, a funeral. You say, but Larry, why are you speaking this at a pastor installation service? It's for two reasons. Because first of all, as someone who had a long time history with your church, and one, a church has been existent for 52 years. I want you to continue to work like a horse in touching the community for Christ. And the second reason is I do not believe a pastor installation service is simply about the installation of a pastor. I'm convinced it's about the recommitment of the people. Because great pastors do not produce great churches. Great churches produce great pastors. Because if this church is a church God wants it to be, it'll cause my pastor Elliot, my friend, my pastor Elliot, to grow and blossom in a way he never ever thought he could, and his preaching and leadership skills increase. But in order for that to happen, there are three essentials for a happy church, for a healthy church. 
And all of them have to do with people. Because the church, at first and foremost, not about buildings, not about programs, it's about people. And the first and century gift has to do with a person who goes astray in his Christian walk. Because the first thing he says is, care for the one who's sinning. And look what he says in verse 1. Brethren, if anyone be overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritually restored to one in a spirit of gentleness. Consider yourself that you also be tempted. Now, by t- talking about someone overcoming a sin, he's not talking about willful sin, but someone who very unexpectedly and very foolishly falls into sin. One time was a businessman friend of mine who had his daughter come to the office, and she went to use the restroom. When she came out, he knew what she had forgotten. So he said to her, honey, what did you forget? She said, I forgot to wash my hands. And then she said to him, you know why, daddy? He said, no, why? And she says, because I ain't perfect. (laughs) And the fact of the matter is that people in the church are not perfect. And therefore, there are those who are going to foolishly and very unexpectedly fall into sin. It may have to do with doctrine. It may have to do with conduct. It may be something related to one area of such as alcohol or another area related to the daughtery. But he says, care for the one who's sinning. He's so much so that he says what to do and then how to do it. He says in verse 1, if anyone be overtaken any trespass, you are spiritual. Now notice he does not say you who think you're spiritual. He says you are spiritual. Because it's important to be walking in that way yourself. Because an ounce of illustration is worth far more than a ton of talk. He says you are spiritual, restore such a one. And that word restore is used of the mending of a joint. It's the same word used in Matthew 4.21 for the mending of a net. In other words, your job is always to heal, it's never to humiliate. Your job is to make him as good, as new, as again, as you care for the one who's sinning. But in having said what to do, he says how to do it. Because sometimes we are part of the problem. One time a woman heard her one son crying to no end, and she walked outside, and sure enough, there he stood, bawling his head off. And so she looked at his brother who was standing right next to him. She said, why is your brother crying? He said, I don't know. I'm just eating my dessert, and I won't give him any. And she said, was his own finished? He said, yeah. And he cried when I ate that, too. And so many times, we become part of the problem. And that's why he says in verse 1, you are spiritually restored such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That word gentleness means meekness. It means humility. It means being considerate. With an attitude that says, but for the grace of God, there be I. Because today, you might be talking to him. But next month, he might be talking to you. And therefore, you have to care for the one who's sinning. There are some armies of the world that when a man is dishonorably discharged, the way they deal with it is to read aloud before everybody else what he's done then have him pass by the troops. And when he passes by the troops, everyone turns to him in about face so that he only sees their back and never sees their face. He is saying, you are not in any army of the world. You're in the army of God. When somebody sins, don't turn your back to him. Turn your face towards him and care for the one who's sinning. And Pastor Audia, I encourage you as you lead this congregation, Lead a congregation who knows how to care for the one who's sinning, who knows how to be on their team, not on their back. And I urge you as a congregation 
care for the one who's sinning. That when someone very foolishly and unexpectedly falls into sin, don't respond with callousness. Instead, respond with caring. Care for the one who's sinning. But not only do you have sometimes someone who falls into sin they did not expect to, but sometimes you have someone who all of a sudden has burdens they never expected to have. So having said care for the one who's sinning, he says bear with the one who's burdened. And notice he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now by that he doesn't mean you have to remove all the problems from each other's lives because this side of heaven, our life will always be filled with one problem after another. In fact, Reader Digest told about a man that every night he came home from work. As soon as he hit the door, his wife would have hit him with the calamities of the day. One night he said to her, honey, before you hit me with everything that's gone wrong, could you at least let me sit down and enjoy a good, nice meal? And the next night, as soon as he walked in the door, his wife would say, honey, hurry up and eat. I have something terrible to tell you. <laughs> but instead, by the word burden he's referring, that something is overbearing. Something's about to tear him down. Something feels he just cannot bear alone. One of the worst difficulties he's ever had. And maybe due to a past sin, or maybe due to a present sickness. It may be a problem with his marriage or a problem with his money. It may be a problem at work or a problem at home. But he said, and he said, bear with the one who's burdened. Don't just take his name and pray for him. Don't sit around the table and talk about how unfortunate he is. Take some of that burdens that person has and place them upon your shoulders. If you know anything about the geese that fly in a V formation, you know that in the winter they fly from north to south, then they spring from south to north, and they do it in a V formation, so that the one bird flying ahead will make it easier for the bird flying behind because it provides an uplift for the wind, and therefore they don't have to bear the weight of the wind alone. He's saying the body of Christ act like a bunch of geese. Bear the burdens of one another. Be a burden-bearing people. But then he's going what tells them what keeps us from doing that. And that is a problem of pride. Because too many times, like the politician, who is flying with members of his campaign staff in a small plane, all of a sudden he said, I think I'll drop a $50 bill out of this plane, make somebody down there happy. Members campaign staff said, why don't you drop out five $10 bills, make five people happy. No members campaign staff said, why don't you drop out 10 $5 bills, make 10 people happy. No members campaign staff said, why don't you drop out 51 $1 bills, make 50 people happy. No members campaign staff said, why don't you jump out yourself and make everybody happy. <laughs> and what often keeps us from bearing the burdens of one another is a problem of pride. And that's why he says in verse 3, if anyone thinks himself be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. As simply as I know how to put it, what he's saying is, if you think you're hot, you're not. <laughs> Someone has said the smallest package in the world is a man who's all wrapped up in himself. And for that reason, he gives a challenge and a command. He says in verse five, verse 4, that each one examine his own work, and then will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Each one shall bear his own load. So many times what keeps us from helping a brother is we compare ourselves to one another and it keeps us from bearing his burdens. Instead, he's saying, take a rightful look at yourself. 
You find out you're gifted in ways they're not. They're gifted in ways you're not. You have strength they don't, and they have strength you don't. And that's important, because in the body of Christ, each one of us has to bear our own load. And having that rightful view of yourself, you will then be able to bear the burdens of one another. And you'll be able to be a burden-bearing person. It's interesting to me that as you cross the bridge in Atlantis, it doesn't matter what vehicle crosses that bridge, every single supporting beam underneath that bridge has to bear the load. And it doesn't matter what person in the church faces a burden that's about to overwhelm him. He's saying everyone in the church has to bear the load. Be a burden-bearing people. And I challenge you, Pastor Elliot, as you lead this congregation, take the burdens of your people and place them upon your shoulders. Be a burden-bearing pastor. But I encourage you as a congregation to realize that just as you have burdens that overwhelm you, your pastor and his wife are going to have burdens that overwhelm them. And take some of their burdens and place them on your shoulders. Be a burden-bearing people. But the church is not just about sharing, not just about caring, not just about bearing. It's also about sharing. So having said care for the one who's sinning and bear for the one who's burdened, he now says share with the one who's teaching. And he says in verse 7, in verse 6, that him who is taught in the word, Share all good things with the one who did the teaching. He's saying the same thing it says in 1 Timothy 5.18. A labor is worthy of his hire. And by sharing, he means everything useful. Not just food or finances, but everything useful. In the church, we are not to have the attitude, you steal from my basket, I'll steal from yours. Instead, we all have the attitude, you share from my basket, you share from your basket, and I'll share from yours. And we are to be channeled for sharing not a cistern for storing. And a pastor, as he stands before you, as Pastor Elliot Will, has a tremendous responsibility. God has not promised to bless his words. He promised as God's word. And so he is a man, be a man of prayer, and be a man who studies the word. So when he stands before you, he shared with you what God has shared with him. But just as he has responsibility for what he shared with you, you also have responsibility for what you share with him. And you are to share with the one who's teaching. When I started the ministry in 1973, I was in Illinois. And two boys came up to me one night and said, we went out today and sold lemonade for five cents a glass, and we earned a dollar and a half. We found out the offering tonight is for you, so we're putting it in the offering plate. Because Dad told us that since you have ministered to our family, They've got a responsibility to minister to yours. And this day is the best dollar and a half I ever got. And he's saying, share with the one who's teaching. Now, I recognize, and the reason he said that, is when a person gives himself so faithfully to the word, he has to be compensated. Because he spends so much time in prayer and study, that's consuming his hours. By saying, just as he shared with you, you share with him. Now, I recognize there are men in the ministry today who teach the word. They're simply greedy and after money. In fact, I love the story of the woman who was flying in a plane. The pastor was by her side. And all of a sudden, they discovered turbulent weather, and the plane shook to no end. And she looked at him, and she said, well, you're a pastor. Do something. And so he stood up and took up an offering. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, the sad thing is, there are those who have to struggle to make ends meet. 
And when 5,000 men were interviewed as to why they left the ministry, the number one response was, I just get tired of seeing ends meet. But please, again, don't think in terms of simply finances. Be a sharing people. It may be a dish of food if Beth is ill, or maybe a place to unwind when the pressures build. But just as he shares with you, be a group of people who in turn share with him and share with the one who teaches. He said a healthy church is one who cares for one who's sinning, bears with the one who's burdened, and shares with the one who's teaching. And having said that, he gives a powerful PS because he says in verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. And he lays out a baseball principle of farming, that what you plant is also what you produce, because you always reap what you sow. One time there were two farmers that so hated one another, and they were farmers were so back-to-back to each other on the farm. And so one night, the father and his son crept over the fence in the borderline and sowed some of the wildest grass seed a farmer would ever want, a seed that no farmer wants on his farm, but takes over the farm quickly. And sure enough, that's what it did. Well, it turned out that the man and his son, who had sowed the bad seed, the man got older and he eventually died. And when you know it, the son fell in love with the daughter of the neighboring farmer. And when her dad died, he inherited the farm where he had sowed all the bad seed. You always reap what you sow. And that's why he said in verse 8, he who sows the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. He who sows the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. Please understand he is not saying you walk your way to heaven. He's using everlasting life in terms of eternal reward. And he's saying if you sow the flesh, you reap a very divisive, uncaring, and selfish spirit. If you sow the spirit by caring for the one who's sinning, bearing with the one who's burdened, and sharing with the one who's teaching, you reap eternal reward when you stand before the king. And that's why he says in verse 9, let us not go weary in doing good, for in due season we'll reap if we faint not. That word weary means to come to the point you feel exhausted and about to give up. He says, never stop caring for the one who's sinning. Never stop bearing with the one who's burdened. Never stop sharing with the one who's teaching. For in so doing, you reap eternal reward, because diligence now gives dividends later. So never stop working like a horse. Sir Winston Churchill, that leader of the past, right before he died, was asked to give a commencement address at a university. He was so ill and so aged, he had to be helped on the platform, and he took a firm hold of the pulpit to stay erect. But with a trembling voice, all he said were 13 words. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, 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 never. What Paul is saying is, never stop caring for one who's sinning, bearing with one who's burdened, sharing with one who's teaching. Never, 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 never. And that's why I close verse 10 by saying, therefore, the opportunity, that's the good to all, especially those of the household of faith. So many times we have the attitude to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we love, that's another story. <laughs> Instead, he's saying you ought to have the attitude 
to live above with those we love, oh, that will be glory. And to live below with those we love, that's too an exciting story. And you care for the one who's sinning, bear with the one who's burdened, and share with the one who's teaching. And what happens when you do? Acts 2.47 says it very clearly. It says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And God added to the church daily those who would be saved. Because the church knows nothing of that, because the world knows nothing of that kind of spirit. They criticize the one who sins. They blame the one who's burdened. And they steal instead of share. So when they see a church that's caring for the one who's sinning, bearing with the one who's burdened, and sharing with the one who's teaching, they say, what in the world is making the difference? And that's when you have a chance to tell them not about what, but about who. Because he's the one making the difference. And I beg you, as a pastor who's about to leave the church, my friend, Pastor Elliot, care for that sinning brother. Bear the burdens of your people and share what God has told you. Be a caring, bearing, sharing pastor. By you as a people, help care for the one who's sinning. Don't respond with callousness. Respond with care. Bear with the one who's burdened. Take the problem to one another that's about to melt you down and put them on your shoulders. And share with the one who's teaching you share from my basket, and I'll share from yours. Don't be cistern for storing, but channels for sharing. Care with the one who's sitting. Bear with the one who's burdened. Share with the one who's teaching. And this church is going to have one of the most exciting teachers you have ever envisioned. Not because what you said, but because God blessed what he said. As you care for the one who's sitting, bear with the one who's burdened, share with the one who's teaching. What are the three essentials for a healthy church? They are all together. Care for the one who's sinning, bear with the one who's burdened, share with the one who's teaching. What are the three essentials for a healthy church? Care for the one who's sinning, bear with the one who's burdened, share with the one who's teaching. What are the three essentials for a healthy church? They are care with the one who's sinning, bear with the one who's burdened, share with the one who's teaching. I hate repetition. What are the three essentials for a healthy church? They are care for the one who's sinning, bear with the one who's burdened, share with the one who's teaching. One time a man was walking down the sidewalk and he passed a bookstore. And he looked in the window and he saw a book called How to Hug. And being a man given to romance, he thought it'd be an exciting book to read. And so he went to the bookstore and he purchased the book, How to Hug. When he got home, he was awfully disappointed because he found out all he had purchased was a seventh volume of a set of encyclopedias that covered everything from H-O-W-HOW to H-U-G-HUG. <laughs> Could I ask you, 
when people walk in this assembly, are they going to find an encyclopedia of theology? Or are they going to find people who know how to hug to hug by caring for the one who's sinning, bearing with the one who's burdened, sharing with the one who's teaching? How do you hug? Care for the one who's sitting, bear with the one who's burdened, and share with the one who's teaching.